0: Good morning. How are we doing today? Good. It's good to see all you guys. Let's give it up one more time for our worship team this morning. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's incredible to see, like, I don't know if you guys have saw some of Fred and in India's posts this morning, how, how they worship in Africa and, and how incredible that is without any music, without any, you know, team that are up here playing the drums and guitars, and they just simply worship God. And, 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 and I think It's neat to see across the world the different ways that people worship when it's all, though, the same thing, all pointed back up to God and and worshiping the the, the one who saved us and gave us this salvation that we celebrate on a daily basis. So, yeah, I think it's awesome that we can come here and just praise God. Despite the fact that we're missing a portion of our worship team, these guys pulled it together and did an awesome job. So thank you, worship team, for that. If you guys don't know who I am, my name is Sean Fenner. I am uh, part of the preaching rotation here. I'm also the small group coordinator here at Redemption Church, amongst some other stuff that I do. But it's so good to be here with you guys this morning. It's a privilege to be able to come and present God's Word to you. So I do have a couple of announcements. Um, the first one is on, I believe, August 9th. They are We are doing a the joint thing with Redemption Kids Ministry and Impact Students Ministry, we want you as adults, as parents, to come with your kids and to sit down with the leadership of those teams to just talk. Talk about what the expectations are. Talk about student ministry. Talk about how we can serve your kid in conjunction with you as the parent and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the soul bringer up, I guess, if you want to say. But we want to partner with you, with you on that. We want to be a tool to be able to use to help raise our kids, raise our kids to to, to worship God, raise our kids to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And we want to do that together with you. So I encourage you, it's it's a voluntary thing, but I highly recommend, I think that it would be an important thing for you guys to come with your kids to, to, to interact and see what we can do to make sure your kids are getting the best godly education that they can get. So that is, again, August 9th, 6th through or six o'clock to eight o'clock here at Redemption. There'll be refreshments. There are, um, you can do this. The QR codes are in the, in the lobby there. You can go on there and, and, and sign up for that. So we'd love to have you here. The other thing is I believe if you go to the back in the lobby there, you're going to see um, some book bags. There's little tags that are on there. We're asking you in conjunction or in partnership with Need Cafe, um, we're gonna be giving book bags out to kids who who maybe can't afford those. Uh, Need Cafe is doing a movie night on August 18th. So we're asking you to go back, grab one of those little slips. They're gonna have a list of things that you can put in that book bag. If you guys would grab one, fill that and have that here back to us on August 12th. If you have any questions about that, you can reach out to Christy Schaefer or Emily, Emily Campbell on those things. So again, another opportunity, a simple opportunity for us to serve God and to give back to the community for those who are in need. So... I think that is all the announcement I have. I do want to continue to pray for those folks over in Africa that God will continue to provide them strength, continue to provide them unity, right? Because as Fred was saying on his message the other day, um, you know, they're getting to a point where they've been together a long time and and there's probably some, you know, I'm tired of this dude. (laughs) I need to get away from this guy for a little bit. So we want to continue to pray that God will continue to bring them together to to allow them to serve him the best way possible. To allow him to, to allow them to serve the people in Africa the best way possible. So I think that's all the announcements I have. So what I want to do to start here is I want you guys to just clear your head for a moment. And we're going to use our imagination a little bit. Okay? So imagine it's a Sunday afternoon uh, in the fall. Maybe 60 degrees outside. Pretty nice day. Maybe you're outside Cooking on your smoker, making some ribs. Maybe you're inside watching some football, um, Steelers. Maybe you're just hanging out with the kids after church, or you know whatever it is that you're doing on a normal Sunday. That what it looks like for you. It's your imagination. So now imagine though, during that time, you hear a big like ringing boom that comes out of nowhere. Now naturally, we're all going to be inquisitive. And we're going to walk outside and see what, what's going on. What's this noise? So you walk outside you. You, you investigate, and you, all of your neighbors do the same thing because this boom was loud. It shook the ground, and what's going on here? So you decide you're going to take a walk up to where you think that boom came from. As you approach the boom, you notice the ground is kind of broken up. Some of the concrete has been lifted up, and, 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 and there clearly was some type of explosion maybe. So you continue to go further towards it, and as you continue, the ground starts to shake, and, 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 and all of a sudden, a boom, another boom comes up. And out from this rubble, this giant three-legged robot comes out of the ground. This robot emits a, an EMP and shuts off all the power and all the cars, and, and there's no way to move. And, and, and as you sit there and look shocked at what's going on, suddenly this robot begins to attack the bystanders. And this is happening all across the world. Robots with three legs standing up out of nowhere, killing all the citizens of the earth. Now, of course, this is a plot for H.G. Wells' War World of the Worlds, if you didn't know that. A book written in 1896. This book was kind of the start of the, the idea of alien invasion movies. We see this book itself was adapted nine different times in, in, uh, in, in, on TV and movies. Uh, Orson Welles, in 1936, did a radio show called "War of the Worlds," and it was so impactful and so realistic that there were people actually calling in and saying, "What are we doing about these aliens? How are we going to stop these aliens?" This then started and spawned a, 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 a culture of alien invasion movies. When I was a kid um, if you guys have heard me preach, you know I like to share these stories when I was a kid uh, when I was a kid, I loved Godzilla movies. I know it's corny, goofy, but I love them. I still kind of like them. Um, But one of the biggest plots in these movies were alien invasions coming down to get control of these giant monsters to destroy the world. We see this same plot in Independence Day. Mars attacks, invasion of the body snatchers, and on and on and on. There are hundreds and hundreds of alien invasion movies. Now, Keep in mind that this is science fiction, but the reality of it is throughout history there have been men who had the same mindset to come and conquer and destroy and kill to gain power, to rule, to gain leadership. We see this played out with Alexander the Great. He had conquered lands far beyond the human eye by the time he was 30 years old. He was a brutal and intelligent military tactician. He conquered much of the world by himself. In fact, there were times where he would go to, to conquer a territory or a land and they would immediately surrender before a sword was even lifted because they were in fear of him and his brutality. His tactics today are still practiced in the military. Genghis Khan, he made an army by himself using mostly nomadic tribes and he brought them together and he trained them to, to fight to, to learn how to attack, to become an army. And he would take that, that military and, and they would destroy dynasties and territories, massacre civilians without any remorse. He conquered almost all of Central Asia and China. And he was considered an unbeatable military man. Napoleon was, was a young military leader who conquered most of Europe. Through his military tactics and his brutality, he conquered France and crowned himself emperor of France. He also did the same thing in Egypt, conquering the Egyptian armies. All of this within a very short time frame. So the alien invasion was really not that different than these humans who wanted to come and conquer and reign and rule. But the one thing that all these rulers have in common... The one thing that that is true for all of them is that they all died. They were all human, and they could not reign forever. This morning, church, we are going to talk about a king who reigns forever because he reigns eternally. We're going to talk about a king who has immeasurable strength. There's a king who is mighty. There's a king who reigns as glorious, as powerful, triumphant, truthful, and holy and his name is the Lord. So let's look at Psalms 93, one through five. It says, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, enveloped in strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaking. Your throne has been established from the beginning. You are from eternity. The floods have lifted up. Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves greater than the roar of a huge torrent. The mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is majestic. Lord, your testimonies are completely reliable. Holiness adorns your house for all the days to come. Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage. Lord, most importantly, thank you that you reign. Lord, I pray that this morning we are able to Allow you to to teach us and show us the the message that you're trying to portray through this passage, through your words. Lord, I pray that you would just speak through me, let your words not my words come through, Lord. I pray that you would allow your spirit to to fill each of our hearts so that we are prepared to hear the message that you want us to hear. Lord, I pray that that, that you would just allow us to to take from this message an opportunity to, to change who we are, at this very moment, that we recognize the, 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 that you are king of kings and that you are Lord of lords, that we have a, a fuller and clearer understanding of what that means in our lives. We thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for, for being here with us this morning. And Lord, we just give you all the glory for what you're going to do in your name. Amen. Amen. So let's talk a little about this psalm, Psalms 93. 93. Well, Psalm 93 and Psalm 95 through 100 are what's considered a group of psalms that are referred to as enthronement psalms. This is because they emphasize the Lord as king. That's pretty much what we know about this psalm. That's it. That's the history of it. We don't know who wrote it. We really don't know why they wrote it. We don't know when they wrote it. But the message in this psalm is very much unmistakable. And it says it in the very first verse. The Lord reigns. John MacArthur writes... Um, this about this psalm. Nothing is more powerful than the Lord. Nothing is more steadfast than his reign. Nothing is more sure than his revelation. Psalm 93 is also a, a hymn of praise, but it doesn't really fit the typical formula that we find in a, in a hymn of praise. They typically consist of a, a you know, a personal testimony about God, how God has delivered them from, in David's case, sin, or from his enemies. We see that throughout the psalms. This really doesn't fit that narrative. No one but the Lord is mentioned in this psalm. All the focus is on the Lord, who is directly mentioned in this psalm five different times. This psalm is not about us at all. It's not about anyone else. It is all about God. But the psalm does have a benefit for us as believers. The truth of God's reign is our comfort. The truth of God's reign is our peace. The truth of God's reign is our strength. So this morning what we're going to do is look at three truths about this psalm. Three facts about the Lord's reign over us. So my first point you'll see on the screen here. says the Lord reigns righteously or great, great, gloriously. Sorry about that. I'm jumping ahead way too fast. The Lord reigns gloriously. We see in verse 1. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed, enveloped in strength. The world is firmly established. It cannot be shaken. Verse 1 begins with a very clear and very bold declaration. The Lord reigns. This phrase both summarizes what the theme of this psalm is going to be, but it also gives us a direction and indicates what this psalm is all about. This is the ultimate truth that unbelievers should always recognize, and it's the ultimate truth that believers should always remember. God is king. God's kingly rule is exclusive. It's singular. God reigns. Not Satan, not man, not other gods, not world leaders, not foreign powers, not circumstances, and not random fate. The Lord reigns. Reigns is a present tense term used to express a perfect tense truth. It speaks in real time. God is not nominal. God is not theoretical. God is not ceremonial. We know the Lord's rules reigns graciously because of my next point, the Lord is majestic. The Lord is majestic. The psalmist here employs a very dramatic imagery to assert divine rule. The first picture that we see of God is in God in royal garments. We well, see he is robed in majesty. Now, keep in mind, this is not a, a robe that you and I might wear that has some adornments on it or accoutrements on it, maybe bedazzled, eye rule on the back of it. This is not the robe we're talking about here. This is a robe that is majesty itself. Majesty itself. That's what God's wearing. Majesty is an attribute that links God's holiness to God's sovereignty. Because God is robed in majesty, his nature is majestic. Because God is robed in majesty, his character is majestic. Because God is robed in majesty, his works are majestic. While it's important, and vital and even biblical to praise God for all that he's done for us and all that he continues to do for us, I think oftentimes what we do is forget to praise God for who he is. We forget to to remember that that God is majestic, that God is the king. As I was going through this, it it reminded me of an old praise song that we used to sing when I was in uh, school. Again, I went to Chesapeake Christian Academy. We had chapels every Thursday. And in those chapels, we would sing all these different praise songs. And we also sang this song in in, in church on Sunday mornings. I went to a Baptist church. Keep in mind, most of the time it was hymns. But when we really wanted to get charismatic, we'd pull out this little praise book, right? It had like 100 songs in it, and we'd praise God through these these songs. It was rare because we had to stick to those hymns in this Baptist church. But every once in a while, we'd break out and get a little crazy. This song was called Majesty. Some of you guys might know it. I'm going to read the words to you. I thought about singing it, but we're not going to spare you guys that. But we're going to read these words to you. And it really kind of tells the story of God's majesty. It says, majesty, worship his majesty. Unto Jesus be all glory, honor, and praise. Majesty, kingdom authority, flows from his throne unto his own, his anthem raise. So exalt Lift up on high the name of Jesus. Magnify, come, glorify Christ Jesus the King. Majesty, worship his majesty. Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all kings. What an impactful song that is. When you think about why we're worshiping God, because he is our majesty, because he is majestic. How many of you guys actually know that song? A pretty good number of you guys. Good. So the psalmist here is reminding us that, that he is our majesty and only he deserves to be praised. He's reminding us that he is our king and only he is worthy to be praised. He's reminding us that the, he is our Lord and only he deserves to be praised. We also see in this passage that not only is he robed in majesty, but he's also uh, enthroned in strength. Some translation will use the word girded. Girded is what you do when you get ready to go to war, right? You tighten your belt or you gird your belt. The robe here declares God's reign in time of peace, but the belt declares God's reign in time of war. The robe is what a king wore when he wanted to sit majestically. The belt is what a king wore when he wanted to stand in strength. The king, as he prepared to go to war, he would take his robe and he would tuck it in his belt. This allowed him to have the movement that he needed to be able to jump into action when need be, to be able to, to fight when need be. It freed him up. This divine belt envisions God as armed and ready for battle. Psalm 63, 11 says that the power belongs to God. This is a self-coronation. There is no outside force that can give God strength just like there is no outside force that can take that strength away. The Lord simply puts on strength like we put on a belt. He is robed in majesty, majesty and he is enthroned in strength. The next thing that we see that describes God reign gloriously is that the Lord is sovereign. The Lord is sovereign. Charles Spurgeon called Psalms 93 a psalm of omnipotent sovereignty. The Lord reigns because he is unimpeachable. He has unimpeachable jurisdiction over all of creation. Some translation in verse 1, we use the word yes. The word yes meaning truly or certainly or assuredly. It is an undeniable fact that God is in charge. And the proof is this, that the world is established. The world is not a cosmic accident. The world is not a product of the Big Bang. The world is is not a result of evolution. The world is established. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And church, if you do not believe the very first verse of this Bible, then you cannot believe the Bible. In Scripture, divine creation is the basis for divine authority. Let me say that again. In Scripture, divine creation is the basis for divine authority. It proves that God is God. God is ruler over all things because God is the maker of all things. Psalms 24, 1 through 2 says the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. Colossians 1, 16 through 17, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold Together. So, what's the significance of the world being established? Why is that important to us? Well, because we also see in verse 1 that the world shall never be moved. It is established thus, it cannot be moved. Now, there are medieval scholars when they first saw this that thought this meant that the planet was stationary and everything else revolved around it. That's not true. That's not what this verse means. This verse is not a statement of physics, this is a statement of theology. To say the world shall never be moved means that God's established order will not be overthrown by sinfulness of man, the elements of nature, the fluctuation of history. It is fixed. And this is not only true for God's natural law, but it's true for God's moral law. We see in Galatians 6, 7 through 8, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap because the one who sows in the flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will reap eternal life from the spirit. This is fixed. You reap what you sow. If you reap in the flesh, then destruction comes. That's fixed. That's gonna happen. That's the reality of it. That can't be changed. But if you reap in the spirit, then you'll have eternal life through the spirit. That is fixed. That is truth. That cannot be changed. That's what will happen. Verse two then also goes on and says, not only is the world established, but the throne has been established from the beginning. For you are from eternity. Next point, next reason why we know the Lord reigns gloriously is because the Lord is eternal. The Lord is eternal. The Israelites had once again sinned against God. So God sent Gideon to judge them. And they were then um, conquered by the Midianites. And for seven years, they were under the Midianites. They ruled over Israel. God had compassion on them. And so he talked to Gideon once again and said, Gideon, I want you to rally the troops. Let's get them moving and let's go and take back our nation. So Gideon did just that, rallied the troops, went off to war with the Midianites, and because of God's assistance, they were successful in defeating the Midianites and gaining their nation back. Gideon after the battle, was confronted with the leaders of Israel. And they said, hey, man, why don't you be the leader? Why don't you rule over us? Why don't you take the reins and and, and take control of Israel? You be in charge. Gideon recognized what they were trying to do and accomplish here. And wise as he was, we see in Judges 8.23, he says this, but Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. See, the problem with sinful people is they constantly want new leaders and rulers. They constantly want someone in place because they—they they, the selfish nature of sinners is that they want to continue getting what they want. They want to continue getting what they think they need, and they feel like maybe this new leader will be a little more soft. He'll do whatever we tell him to do. But that's not the case. And Gideon recognized what they were trying to accomplish. And he's saying, listen, you can have all the people you want in front of you. It doesn't really matter because you know what? The Lord reigns eternally. The Lord is always going to be in charge. Psalms 145.3 says that God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And his dominion endures throughout generations. And not only did Gideon say, I'm not doing it, but my son's not doing it either. Nor is his son or his son or his son. Because the reality of it is, the Lord reigns eternally. God's kingdom did not begin when Israel became a nation by covenant with God. God's kingdom will not end based on anything that happens in Israel, nor in any other nation, including our own. God's kingdom is everlasting. God's throne is established from old because God is eternal. God is uncreated and he is unending. God is eternal and immutable. Moses prayed, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generation before the mountains were brought forth and you formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is timeless. He has no time limits. God lives in one eternal and that is now. There is no reason for God to be in a hurry because time is always on his side. God's rule is inescapable. And we cannot wait out God. He has all the time in the world church, but we, however, do not. And I tell you this morning, that's why it's so important that you run to the cross today. Because we don't know when our time is up. And while God is eternal forever, we are not. My next point, next truth about how God reigns over us is that the Lord reigns powerfully. The president of the United States, he is not introduced, he's presented. No one reads his bio as he comes up to the audience that's waiting. He is announced, and it says the same thing each and every time. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. And when the President walks into the room, when he comes up on the stage or he takes the podium, whether you like the President or not doesn't really matter, but everyone stands up out of respect because he's the President of the United States. Sadly, the one True authority in our lives does not get this same respect. Some do respond in reverence, as it should be, but there are a lot of others who respond in rebellion. And this is the stark contrast between the reality of God's authority and the response to God's authority. This is what we're going to see in these next two verses. So let's look at verse 3. It says, The floods have lifted up. Lord, the floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves. The floods here are not literal floods. We know that all of nature is under divine control. Ultimately, floods and fires, earthquake, hurricanes, tornadoes, these are all act of God's, not nature. Likewise, the floods are not some mythological thing, not some sign sent by some unforeseen God to teach the world something. This is not the case at all. The floodwaters here are a picture of sinful rebellion against God's divine authority. The psalmist says the floods have lifted up. The floods themselves are making a choice. It's not the blowing winds that have caused the floodwaters to rise. Of their own choice, the floods have lifted up. There is also a sense of alarm, a sense of anxiety, a sense of urgency that the psalmist is saying. In fact, he says three different times the flood has lifted up. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods have lifted up their pounding waves. In other versions, you see, the floods have lifted up their roaring. They're screaming out. Church, what's wrong with this world? Well, it's a pretty simple answer. The floods have lifted up. This explains poverty and racism, violence injustice, division and the corruption in the world around us. The floods have lifted up. It's a symbol of chaos, a symbol of violence, a symbol of evil. Floods lifting up is simultaneously a statement about the power of sin and the weakness of man. Protests, legislation, science, education, reparations, even new leadership will ultimately fix nothing when the floods have lifted up. So how do we respond? What do we need to do, church? Well, we need to do what the psalmist is doing right here. We need to cry out to God. And we need to do so with urgency, with alarm. There are some that might tell us, no, no, no. You need to accept the floods. You need to just take them in and talk with them. You know, share this. with. I'm telling you, no, don't do that. What we need to do is get on our knees and we need to cry out to God and we need to tell God about these floods. Tell him, God, there's floods coming. He knows this already, but it's our responsibility to cry out to God for help. And here's the thing, we can be assured that God is going to take care of that. We see this in verse 4. Greater than the roar of the huge torrent, the mighty breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is majestic. The Lord on high is majestic. And while the Lord does not prevent the flood waters from lifting up their voices, he absolutely triumphs over the flood as they do so. The floods have lifted up, but the Lord is mightier than the floods. The floods have lifted up their voice, but the Lord is mightier than any waters. The floods have lifted up their pounding waves, but the Lord is mightier than the waves of the sea. The floodwaters might be overwhelming to us, but to God, they are never overwhelming. And while these things might seem like a tsunami to us, they are but a ripple to God. Psalms 29.10 says, The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned king forever. The Lord's throne is not shaken because of the flood. As we discussed in verse 2, his throne is firmly established. And this verse is not just a statement of God's mighty power. It's also a statement of his total sufficiency. Mark 4 tells us a story, and I'm sure a lot of you know this story, of the disciples and Jesus as they completed their ministry for the day. They decided to go across the sea. So they entered in the boats. And, and it wasn't just their boat. There was other boats that came with them following Jesus. As they got into the boats, Jesus went to the stern of the boat and wanted to get some sleep and some rest after a long day of, of ministering. The disciples and the rest of the boats began to trek across the sea. And as they were going, the winds picked up. The winds started to, to blow the waves and the waves began to crash on the boats. The wind became stronger and the waves became bigger and began to flood The boat's disciples became fearful, afraid for their lives. They thought they were going to die. So they went to Jesus and said to him, Jesus, don't you care about us? Don't you care that we're going to die? I'm sure Jesus, being irritated because he just got woken up from his sleep, looked at them, got up, walked over to the middle of the boat, and said just a couple words. Silent. Be still. And immediately the wind stopped. Immediately the waves stopped. And it says that there was a great calmness. Not just any calmness. There was a great calmness. Probably an eerie calmness. As Jesus walked back to the stern to go continue his sleep, he looked at the disciples and said, don't you have any faith in me? Don't you have any faith? The disciples responded pretty interestingly. We see in 441, he says, and they were terrified and asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. Well, church, the answer is pretty obvious. That God is mightier than the winds. God is mightier than the waves and the waters. Jesus is more than just an example, more than just a prophet, more than just a miracle worker. Jesus is the son of the living God. Jesus is heaven's wonder. Jesus is hell's worry. Jesus is humanity's way out of sin, out of guilt, out of shame, out of death, and out of hell. Whatever storm that you are in right now, Whatever is going on in your life right now, God is mighty to save. God is stronger than any floodwater that we can face. My next point, truth number three, is that the Lord reigns righteously. The Lord reigns righteously. In the midst of the Watergate scandal, um, the president, Richard Nixon, decided it'd be a smart idea to have a press conference to make sure that he can assure the, the American people that he was innocent. He says the American people have a right to know if their president is a crook. We also see the famous, I am not a crook, meme that we see all over the place. Well, we know, he would soon resign in disgrace because of his part in Watergate. As a result of this, the American people truly lost faith in their elected officials. They assumed that all the leaders were crooks. And that continues probably even more so today. We just assume that, yes, there's something wrong with this guy. He's probably a crook in some way or another. Right? That's what we assume. But the Lord who reigns gloriously, the Lord who reigns powerfully, is also a Lord who reigns righteously. And we know this because of God's faithful word. My next point. God's faithful word. How does God exercise his rule over the earth? It's not by demonstrating his omnipotent power. Now he absolutely could do so. He could show us incredible signs and wonders all day long if he chose to. But he does this by a declaration of his faithful word. Human kings reign by what they do. The divine king reigns by what he says. With God, they are the same thing. When God speaks, things happen. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11 says this, For just as rain and snow fall from the heaven and do not return without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper and what I send it to do. When God speaks, things happen. But God says, come true. Church, we live in a world of lies, of falsehoods, of half-truths and deception. So who can we trust? Well, verse 5, part A says this. Lord, your testimonies are completely reliable. The Hebrew word here for testimony is the word aduth. Aduth, which means to do it again with the same power, with the th- same authority. So what the writer is saying to us is that this powerful statement. This statement that your testimonies are completely reliable should be repeated over and over and over again. And we, as believers, should convey and respond in a way that conveys the importance of this statement. We need to confirm it. And we do that, church, by saying, amen. The Lord is reliable. Amen. The Lord is trustworthy. Amen. This is an important part of God's role in our lives. He is trustworthy. The psalmist writes, well, first, that we, we, we know that, that people are, are trustworthy or they're not trustworthy. We know that, that people are reliable or they're not reliable. However, God's reliability and God's trustworthiness does not have qualifications, nor does it have quantifications. The psalmist writes that God is completely reliable, not just Slightly reliable, not every once in a while. He is completely reliable. There is no doubt. Psalms 19:7 through eight says this: the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. We never ever have to question his trustworthiness. We never ever have to wonder if God is going to be reliable. There is absolutely, positively, no doubt about it. The word of God is sufficient to reach the lost. The word of God is sufficient to sanctify the believer. The word of God is sufficient to govern the church. The word of God is sufficient to counsel the troubled. The word of God is sufficient to change the world. So if we sit here and wonder what's going on, understand that God is sufficient to fix it. The next point, we also know that God reigns righteously because of God's holy character. Verse 5b, holiness adorns your house for all the days to come. The house is the Lord's heavenly temple. This is where God dwells. This is where God works. This is where God rules. The chief characteristic of this house of the Lord is its holiness. It is a suitable adornment for God's house, holiness. It's the defining attribute of God. It is the quality that sets God apart from all others. Isaiah 6.3 says that one called to another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the earth. God is so holy that everything associated with him is considered holy. Because God is holy, holiness adorns his house. This is an incredibly important statement about the character of God. The Lord reigns righteously in all that he says because he is holy. The Lord reigns righteously in all that he does because he is holy. The way His ways are good. His house is holy. His rule is righteous. And you can always count on God to do the right thing because he is holy. There is also a very practical implication here for us to understand. Because holiness adorns God's house, God's people, that's us, should never use unholy means to accomplish holy ends. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 15 says this, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one Who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all of your conduct. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Are you living holy today, church? Can you see that verse and say, Because God's holy, I know I'm living holy? That's what God calls us to do. Lastly, in this verse 5b, we see that this is forever. He says, for all the days to come. Not only did the holiness not have a beginning, God has always been holy, but holiness does not have an end. Nor does trustworthiness and reliable and reliability. God is glorious forever. God is powerful forever. God is righteous forever. And as we close, I want you to remember a couple things. No matter... How messed up, as Greg was talking about during worship, no matter how messed up this world can get, and will continue to get, and currently is, no matter how crazy and, 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 and just frustrating this world is, we know this, the Lord reigns. No matter how deep in sin you may be or how deep in sin you may get, we can always be redeemed because the Lord reigns. No matter how big the struggle is or, or that you're dealing with right at this moment, we know that there's always a way out because the Lord reigns. And no matter how lost you may feel or how chaotic my life might seem for you right now, we know that there is always hope because the Lord reigns. And maybe this morning you're sitting here thinking to yourself, man, I need to have someone in my life that I can trust. I wish I had someone in my life that was reliable that I can count on or maybe you're sitting here desperately needing salvation in your life recognizing that I need God in my life right at this very moment well I'm here to tell you that all that is available for you right now all that is available for you if you confess your sins and if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and here's what I know and I know this without a doubt and I know this to, to be completely true and reliable and trustworthy that God is and able to save you and he can do so right at this very moment. And why do I know this? Church, stay with me. Because the Lord reigns. Let's pray. God, thank you for this message. Thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being trustworthy, for being reliable. Thank you for your power and for your strength. Thank you for being able to do the things that we absolutely cannot do. Thank you for loving us regardless of who we are and where we've been and what we've done. Thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray that today we leave here with a, a better understanding of what it means that you reign in our lives. I pray that we we will continue to, to worship you for who you are, for your majesty. for all that you do for us, for all that you've given us. Lord, we are so grateful, so grateful that that because you reign, we can have salvation in our lives. That because you reign, that, 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 that we have the freedom from sin that we need and seek. Because you reign, Lord, anything is possible through you and according to your will. So, Lord, this morning I ask that, that as we continue to worship, that we, we take a look at our lives and we say, what do I need to surrender and sacrifice and give to God? What needs to change so that I can truly allow Lord, the Lord to reign in my life? So I can surrender my life to him and let him take completely control of it. Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to just give that up to you this morning. I pray that you allow us to respond appropriately you as King of Kings, to you as Lord of Lords. Thank you for all that you do in your name. Amen.